Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Access Utah is presenting a periodic series of conversations on the hotly debated topic of GMOs, or genetically engineered foods. Our last episode in the series a few months ago presented the case for GMOs. Today, public interest attorney Stephen Drucker, who appeared recently in Salt Lake City with primatologist Jane Goodall, will present the case against. Stephen Drucker is executive director of the Alliance for Biointegrity, author of the new book, Altered Genes, Twisted Truth. In 1998, he initiated a lawsuit that forced the FDA to divulge its files on genetically engineered foods. According to him, this revealed that politically appointed administrators had covered up the warnings of their own scientists about the unusual risk of these foods and then allowed them to be marketed illegally. Stephen Drucker is commentator on the risk of GE foods. He served on food safety panels at conferences held by the National Research Council and the FDA, given lectures at numerous universities and consulted with various governments, including the U.S. government. Stephen Drucker, uh, pleasure to welcome you to Access Utah. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be talking with you today. So how did you get involved in, in this issue? I understand, uh, you know, reading the book, that you, you're involved in a, in a project dear to your heart. Somehow you got involved with uh, GMOs or GE foods. Well, I became very concerned because I did something that very few Americans were doing back in the early 90s, and unfortunately not enough have been doing yet, and that's I began to read about genetically engineered foods and to learn the facts about them, and uh, the facts were very unsettling. And one of the most important uh, and most unsettling things I learned is that there was a great gap between the claims being made on behalf of genetically engineered foods and the actual evidence. And uh, the more I learned, the more I became concerned, and eventually I had the feeling something needed to be done. And as a lawyer, I, uh, I had a strong feeling that there should be a lawsuit against the FDA. And uh, so that's what I began to do. I founded the Alliance for Biointegrity and started organizing the lawsuit. And as you noted in your introductory m- remarks, uh, that lawsuit... Uh, was a revelation. It forced the FDA to divulge over 44,000 pages of its internal files on genetically engineered foods. And uh, those files demonstrated that the agency's own experts, their own biotechnology task force, repeatedly warned the administrators that genetic engineering is different than traditional breeding and entails a different set of risks, that these foods cannot be presumed safe, that each of them needs to be carefully tested, and the administrators covered all of that up, and they denied they knew anything. Uh, They basically lied. They stated they weren't aware of any information showing that genetically engineered foods differ in any meaningful or uniform way than other foods. That's just an outright lie, as anybody who reads the documents from the FDA scientists that are posted on the Alliance for Biointegrity website can tell. So when I use the term lie, I'm not, uh, I'm, not being ex- I'm not exaggerating, I'm being very careful, but the FDA has been lying repeatedly, not, not just on that, but on several other issues, and again, their files demonstrate that as well. Let me uh, back up just a moment and have you define genetically engineered foods. This, this term, we, we bandy it about, and sometimes uh, it, I think it needs to be defined. Well, basically, it can be defined as foods that most of the foods that are currently on the market have been uh, altered, have their genetic structure altered through what is called recombinant DNA technology. And that's a technology that can rewrite 
uh, edit or in other ways change the DNA of food-yielding organisms or any organism in ways that are not possible through conventional techniques that were never possible before uh, before the development of recombinant DNA technology in uh, the, the mid early to mid-1970s. And it is not just a simple extension of conventional breeding. It is not what Luther Burbank and George Washington Carver and any other plant breeders were doing. It's a very radical intervention on the natural order. Um, the Nobel laureate biologist uh, George Wald, who during his career was a professor at Harvard, has stated that genetic engineering represents the biggest break in nature that has occurred in human history and that it should not be confused with any other intervention of human beings into the natural order. Hmm. I want to have you underline that because that is an argument you do here on, on the other side. We've been manipulating crops and animals for millennia. This is ramped up in the last century or so, you know, breeding crops and animals, et cetera, et cetera. But you're saying this is this is a radical break Yes, and it's not just me. It's, as I said, George Wald, a Nobel laureate biologist, and many eminent biologists. In fact, an eminent molecular biologist, Dr. Lieb Cavalieri, who was one of the scientist plaintiffs, one of the nine scientist plaintiffs in the lawsuit organized, stated publicly that those scientists who are making the claims that genetic engineering is somehow uh, very similar to earlier forms of of uh, crop breeding are perpetrating a major sham and that they should be ashamed of themselves. And anybody who reads my book will realize that those scientists clearly should be ashamed of themselves. It's not at all the same. And in fact, even to claim that we've been manipulating genomes, we haven't been manipulating them, no more so than, than human beings manipulate genomes when they, when they procreate. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's selective breeding. You select a mate, somebody that you want to have children with, and you mate. Uh, but uh, you're not manip- manipulating the, uh, the DNA of you and your partner, nor have scientists been manipulating the DNA of the crops they've been breeding. It's a very, very uh, big piece of deception. And uh, there are so many differences. And again, for our purposes, what really should concern people is when gene- uh, conventional breeding has a very safe, long, long and safe track record. There is no evidence that through traditional breeding, any unintended new toxins have been created in food. But we know that genetic engineering has, can and has created novel new toxins, novel allergens, other, other kinds of substances that would not have arisen through traditional breeding and are very difficult to detect. And the kinds of testing that would be needed to detect them have not been done. And it's a very serious health uh, issue. One of the arguments uh, for GMOs and, and, and GE crops is that we've, you know, we've been doing this for, what, a couple of decades now? Um, of course, you know, the science progresses and we, we ramp it up. And, you know, we haven't had catastrophic problems. Oh, actually, we have. The very first ingestible product of genetic engineering, which was a food supplement of the 
essential amino acid L-tryptophan that was created through the use of genetically engineered bacteria created a major epidemic in the United States in 1989 and 1990. The very first ingestible product of genetic engineering that, that hit the market caused a major epidemic. It killed dozens of Americans, seriously sickened thousands of other ones. Hundreds of them are, remain invalids to this day. And the, mo the evidence, so first, we know that that was that epidemic was linked only to the genetically engineered uh, supplements. There were other, several other manufacturers of L-tryptophan supplements that were not using genetically engineered bacteria. None of their supplements has been linked with that epidemic. And the evidence as a whole, as my book demonstrates, points very strongly toward the genetic engineering of the bacteria that caused the, the very unusual toxic contamination of that supplement that caused that deadly epidemic. So the people that claim there's never been a health issue linked to a genetically engineered a product of genetic engineering aren't telling the truth. And even if that epidemic hadn't occurred, <clears throat> uh, there is no way of knowing whether other genetically engineered foods on the market have or have not been causing harm. That epidemic was only detected because the illness it caused, the malady it created, was extremely unusual and it stood out. But if uh, epidemiologists concur that if, if any of the genetically engineered foods on the market today have been creating increasing cancer or increasing the colitis rate or some other rather common ailment, we couldn't know it. I mean, after all, they are not labeled. There haven't been any follow-up studies. There's no epidemiological surveys being done. So um, it's, it's unscientific for scientists, as they have been doing, to claim that because we don't have any evidence of other epidemics, somehow these foods are safe. That's not a scientific argument. That's pure propaganda. And coming from the mouths of scientists, it's very disturbing because, uh, again, we don't know. The tests haven't been done. The, these products, by law, should have been demonstrated safe before they came on the market so that we aren't in the situation we, we're in now where hundreds of millions of Americans, Canadians, are uh, daily consuming products that uh, entail higher risks than their conventional counterparts, have not been adequately tested before they were allowed on the market, and there's no epidemiological follow-up to find out if they, in fact, are or are not creating problems right now. And it seems like, uh, you know, if what you say is true, and we'll, we'll be having perhaps problems down the line, it, it, it seems like we'll have a, a control group. Uh, I'm talking about Europeans. Europeans, uh, I think generally the public is more skeptical about GMOs. And I don't know, is it is it stricter there in terms of the government process? Well, I don't really know if, if, uh, if there are any good studies being done that it could be called scientific studies where Europeans were control group against the uh, so-called experimental group in the United States and Canada. What we do know is that since the introduction of genetically engineered foods, there's been a dramatic increase in many illnesses, and many of them are known to be food-related illnesses. Now, whether genetically engineered foods are a cause of that, we don't know, because uh, the kinds of studies that would be needed 
to establish causality have not been done. But clearly, we know that there are many ailments on the rise. So, uh, again, one can't uh, say, well, uh, there has been no increase in illness in the population. There certainly has been increase in many ailments. And uh, people are often, many people are baffled as to trying to figure out what is going on. We just don't have any clear-cut evidence. But again, the food safety laws in the United States are supposed to have prevented this situation from happening. None of these foods, by law, should have been allowed on the market unless and until it had been demonstrated safe through very rigorous testing. And the FDA broke that law deliberately in, able to, in order to enable the marketing of genetically engineered foods. And the FDA is on record as admitting it has a policy to promote the U.S. biotechnology industry. And it's also supposed to regulate that industry. But clearly, the promotional agenda has won out over the uh, regulatory agenda, the regulatory responsibility that is supposed to be protecting public health. So the main health, the main health that the FDA is interested in protecting when it comes to GMOs is the health of Monsanto, DuPont, and the rest of the biotechnology industry, not the health of the American public. Let's take a break. When we come back more with Stephen Drucker, he's a public interest uh, attorney. Uh, He is executive director of the Alliance for Biointegrity, author of the new book, Altered Genes, Twisted Truth. We're hearing a case against GMOs, genetically engineered foods, on the program today. You're welcome to join this conversation if you have a question or comment. And you can direct that toll-free to 1-800-826-1495. You can call us, 1-800-826-1495. Our email, we welcome uh, comments and questions via email, upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. And you can join us on Twitter as well. Use the hashtag AccessUtah. More following the break. 20 years ago, the federal government spent $100 million in the part of Baltimore where Freddie Gray grew up. There was this expectation, there was this vision in people's heads. $100 million, creating jobs, will then change, transform neighborhoods. I'm Kai Rizdahl. That was then. We'll tell you about now next time on Marketplace from APN. Wednesday night at 7 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Apogee Instruments, a Cache Valley company building precision sensors that support global research in sustainable food production, renewable energy, and climate change. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah today. We're presenting a periodic series of conversations on the hotly debated topic of GMOs or GE foods. And uh, we've had uh, many discussions in the past. The most recent discussion uh, presented the case for GMOs. Today, the case against the book is Altered Genes, Twisted Truth, How the Venture to Genetically Engineer Our Food Has Subverted Science, Corrupted Government, and Systematically Deceived the Public. The author is public uh, interest attorney uh, Stephen Drucker, who is uh, uh, the executive director of the Center for Alliance, rather, for Biointegrity. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com is our email, and you can uh, tweet us. Uh, we're on Twitter as as well. Uh, Mr. Drucker, I was interested in, in your, uh, you, you have uh, quotes and experiences from uh, Philip Regal, 
who's a scientist at the University of Minnesota. And uh, what if you tell me a bit about his experiences uh, early on? This, this supports a, a central point of your book, which is that science has been turned, the scientific process turned on its head, and that in many institutions, there's a presumption that GE foods are safe and that we shouldn't look into it, you know, uh, too, I guess, too hard. I'm sorry. Where so, did you say the so, presumption that GE foods are safe is being made on the part? Uh, of so, so the FDA institutions of higher learning and and uh, Philip oh, Regal, right? Uh, Many of them are. In yeah. fact, yes, you're right. The FDA has actually reversed the burden of proof. By law, the burden of proof should be on is on the manufacturers of any new food additive, any any new products containing new untested additives. They have the burden of demonstrating they're safe. And what the FDA has done in the case of genetically engineered foods is illegally and surreptitiously shifted that burden off of the shoulders of the industry and put it on the shoulders of any people who have concerns, somehow challenging them to have to prove that genetically engineered foods are dangerous when basically the manufacturers have the responsibility by law of proving they're safe. And as Dr. Regal uh, and other scientists have noted, unfortunately, throughout too much of academia, uh, a presumption has developed that somehow these foods are safe as well on the basis of, of no sound theoretical thinking and on inadequate evidence. And in fact, that presumption was being made even when there was no evidence at all, no tests have been done. And uh, several tests that have been performed raise serious caution, cause for concern. They've shown statistically significant harm to laboratory animals that have been fed genetically engineered foods. And there have been several of these studies published in peer-reviewed scientific journals. So the evidence uh, as a whole is very unsettling, has certainly not demonstrated the safety of these foods. Doctor, I was interested to read Dr. Regal. Uh, This was early on. Um, He was working on, on GE Foods. And he suggested, I think this was University of Minnesota, he suggested that we have our students, uh, you know, do interdisciplinary studies. In other words, we want to understand the, the broad scope and impact of these, uh, this GE science. And the university said that uh, we can't do that because we'll fall behind competitively if we force our students to do that. Right. right. And they also felt it was completely unnecessary for the uh, people studying how to genetically engineer new plants, unnecessary unnecessary for them to even try to understand the ecological impacts, how those new engineered plants might interact with the other multiple organisms, other organisms in the ecosystem in which they would be placed. They said it's a waste of time because essentially they were presuming ahead of time that all of these foods would be safe, not only safe to eat, but safe in the environment. And as Dr. Riekel <laughs> demonstrated, that those are not scientific assumptions at all. That's unscientific thinking, and it shows incredible closed-mindedness. But that closed-mindedness has typified the, the molecular biology uh, discipline really as a whole, especially as it moved into genetic engineering. As molecular biology became genetic engineering, they have really not wanted to interact with other scientists who have contrary views. They basically enclose them, encase themselves in a bubble, and 
they put out propaganda to the public, and they believe their own propaganda. I mean, it's amazing to hear people spout their own propaganda as if it's somehow scientific truth, when it's a matter of science, both theoretically and empirically, it's been undermined. Now, what are we talking about? Give me a range of the products out there. We're familiar with Monsanto's Roundup Ready crops. Um, what, right. What, what you know? What else is out there that, that's genetically engineered? Okay. Well, there. Uh, Monsanto's Roundup Ready crops are probably the biggest category of genetically engineered crops that are on the market, uh, and that has actually added. Uh, that has actually enabled the increased spraying of herbicides. Contrary to the claim that genetically engineered foods would reduce, would reduce the application of herbicides, those Roundup-resistant crops and other herbicide-resistant crops have actually invited uh, increased application of herbicide, and they've, uh, they've accomplished that commercial goal. Uh, then there are plants that were designed to create their own pesticide. Uh, most of them are corn, various varieties of corn, that express a protein that uh, is uh, is uh, lethal to uh, a particular kind of insect or kinds of insects, but they are not uh, impervious to all insects, so many of them need to be sprayed anyway with some, some other kind of pesticide to protect them from crops against they, which they weren't engineered. Uh, there are virus-resistant crops, uh, most of the papayas grown in Hawaii have been genetically engineered for uh, many years. Um, the, uh, so the virus-resistant crops, there are crops that are designed uh, to have one or another gene, the expression of one or another gene suppressed so that uh, a certain trait won't manifest and uh, or a certain gene won't express and then that will uh, stop something from happening that ordinarily would. So the new so-called Arctic apple that's in the pipeline now is one of those crops where it's been engineered so that uh, one of the genes won't express. But all of these crops, uh, genetic engineering as a whole, as a process, is risky. And my book demonstrates this. This is, this is known, a known scientific fact that the genetic engineering process itself can entail many kinds, uh, several kinds of new problems. It can create several disruptions in the metabolism of the organism that could lead to risks to human health or the health of the farm animals that consume the products. So that's regardless of exactly what kind of manipulation is being done. And then one also has to look at the particular kind of manipulation. But with genetic engineering, there's a background level of risk that is inherent within the technology itself, and that means that every product created through it should, as the law prescribes, be presumed unsafe until demonstrated safe. What do you think? What's what's the remedy? Do you think reverse the presumption? Presumption that the GE um, you know uh, foods are unsafe until proven safe? Would would that be a remedy? Well, that that should have been in place. Uh, from early on, that should have been in place all the time because as I've been as I've been emphasizing, that is the law. And as we now know from the uh, memos from the FDA's scientists and from many other independent scientists, that's also sound science. 
these foods should be presumed unsafe until demonstrated safe. In fact, an expert panel of the Royal Society of Canada released a major report in which it basically said that that same thing, that the default presumption for every genetically engineered food should be that the genetic engineering process has created some kind of disruption, unintended disruption, that could have made that food harmful to the consumer, and that each one of them has to be carefully tested. So that's what they were stating from the standpoint of science, from biological science. That dovetails perfectly with U.S. food safety law, which presumes that all of these foods are unsafe until demonstrated safe. But at this point, uh, it's it's a bit late to uh, to say, well, gee, now we'll start presuming them, we'll start instating the law, although we should do that. In fact, if the law were instated tomorrow, all these foods would have to be withdrawn from the market, and they should be. In fact, my book, as my book demonstrates, when one actually understands the technology, understands the science, uh, analyzes it from the standpoint of biological science, and then analyzes it also from the standpoint of computer science, the science of information systems, and what happens when we revise them, it's clear that genetic engineering is unreasonably and unacceptably risky. It really can never be done in a safe way, it appears. Certainly, uh, it would be too costly to do the kind of testing that is required, too costly for the industry. These foods really need to be banned, and we don't need them anyway. In fact, they're, they're blocking the application and development of the kinds of agricultural uh, approaches that are needed to meet the world's food needs. So we really need to ban them and stop putting all of our money into them so, so much money, so many resources are being directed to developing genetically engineered foods. And research has repeatedly shown that uh, simple, sustainable, agroecological approaches in the developing world can outperform industrialized agriculture, even when supplemented with GMOs. So we don't need these foods. They actually do not fulfill the promises. Uh, it's all hype, marketing hype, that they're somehow going to solve the the needs of Africa and the developing world. There's abundant research that shows that they don't, that they are not needed at all. So we really should ban them. We're talking with uh, Stephen Drucker, whose book is Altered Genes, Twisted Truth. He appeared recently in Salt Lake City with primatologist uh, Jane Goodall. You're welcome to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxis at gmail.com. By the way, Mr. Drucker, uh, how this friendship start with uh, Jane Goodall? Well, quite fortuitously, and it, it was actually through uh, a resident of Utah, uh, Randall Tolpenrud, who lives in Salt Lake City and is the the founder and the uh, uh, president of a foundation, Pax Natura, which uh, is doing great things uh, for uh, for the environment. And he has a very uh, impressive uh, board of directors, uh, board of trustees, and they include uh, several Nobel laureates, and Jane Goodall is on the board, and he's become good friends with her, and uh, he put us in touch because he knew she was very concerned about this issue, and he felt she, he, she should know about my book, and she wanted me to send her chapters, and as she read the chapters, she, she, uh, she became very, very concerned and also very impressed with, with the book itself, and... Uh, 
I think you may have mentioned that she has stated in her foreword to the book that it's without doubt one of the most important books of the last 50 years. And she has written a very strong foreword for the book and cares about this issue so much, is so concerned, and is so intent on getting uh, the word out about my book so that the scientific community takes it seriously, so that the public will read it, that she did five press conferences with me during the last two months. And as you mentioned, one of them was in Salt Lake City uh, at the University of Utah. And uh, But there was one in Washington, D.C., and one in London, one in Costa Rica, and one in Toronto. So that's how much she cares. That's the level of concern that Dr. Goodall has about this. So you've uh, you've you said on the program here that uh, GMOs, GE foods should be banned. Uh, therefore, I think I know what your answer is going to be. I'll ask it anyway. Uh, would labeling that's a that's a remedy that uh, some people are pushing for labeling of uh, GMO foods would, would that be sufficient? Well, labeling would be far better than our current situation where the American consumer has not been given fair indication of what foods contain GMOs and what don't. But uh, labeling is really an inadequate remedy. For one thing, if a food is illegally on the market, you don't label it, you take it off the market. And these foods are all illegally on the market. Secondly, if foods entail unreasonable risks, you don't just label them, you take, again, you shouldn't let them be on the market in the first place. Labeling really would only be appropriate for a genetically engineered food that has passed rigorous safety review and has been demonstrated safe according to the standards of law and the standards of science. Then if it can be on the market legally, then it should be labeled to further to identify the fact that it has been genetically engineered so that people have uh, have knowledge of that kind of that that kind of manipulation has been done in the production of that food but uh, if the law were followed if sound science were upheld instead of violated these foods wouldn't be able to be on the market at all the whole venture would collapse i mean again just consider what would have happened in may of 1992 if when the fda announced its policy on genetically engineered foods instead of covering up the warnings of its scientists and lying to the public, it had stated, our scientists have done an extensive study of these foods. They've concluded that they're very different than conventionally bred crops. Each one of them entails unique risks. They have to be carefully safety tested before they're marketed. That would have, that would have killed the whole industry right there. And, <laughs> and in fact, many experts have agreed if the FDA had actually told the truth back in May of 1992, that would have killed the whole industry right there. And that is why the whole industry is fact-averse, and that's why the proponents of genetically engineered foods viciously attack any scientists who perform research that demonstrates problems. They attack not only the research, but the scientists. People have lost their jobs. They've been given heart attacks from the stress of having their reputation smeared for no good reason at all, only because they were behaving as good scientists and doing sound scientific research. But the genetic engineering venture cannot abide the light being shown on the facts. And that's why there's so much disinformation. That's why people are attacked so viciously. That's why we can probably expect that my book will be attacked unjustly. <laughs> you know, people have been attacking it who haven't even read it. I mean, that's ridiculous. There are many eminent, several eminent scientists who have carefully read the book and have praised it just as, just as highly as Jane Goodall has. And uh, 
all people have to do is look at their endorsements. That makes a, you know, a basic case that this book is solid and is worthy of merit. So it's just astounding that you can have eminent scientists starting to dismiss the book without even having read it. That's certainly not open-mindedness. It shows basically that they have a dogmatic, closed-minded attitude, and they, they just presume that no book could ever demonstrate genetically engineered foods are unsafe because that's just their, uh, their dogmatic belief that they are, and they, they're closed-minded. They refuse to actually be assess seriously evidence that is contrary to their belief. Before we go to break, I, uh, this question I think uh, beyond my excuse me. Uh, no, before I go to break, I just just uh, have this oh, question I'm sorry, for you. I you um, the the um, I think the question a lot of people be having right now is that okay, if we accept what you're saying, Mr. Drucker, um, and there isn't extensive labeling, how do I stay away from uh, GMO and GE foods? Well, it's difficult in the United States right now. Uh, one thing is, fortunately, at this point, uh, most whole uh, fruits and vegetables have not been genetically engineered, although in the pipeline, uh, a large number have been, and they're going to be coming to market soon unless we do something. But the, the, main, the main risk uh, to the American consumer is in the processed and packaged foods because about 85 to 90% of those foods contain ingredients from one or another genetically engineered organism. So the safest thing when you're buying processed and packaged foods is to look for ingredients that are certified organic, and the highest level of safety is provided by foods that have uh, the label from the uh, non verified non-GMO, the non-GMO project verification. There's a, that's, a, that's basically a voluntary process uh, that uh, manufacturers subject their foods to that has very high level of verification that none of the ingredients in their product comes from GMOs, and it's the non-GMO project verified labeling. And that's a, a, an increasingly popular label. Consumers can see it on many products, and that is the highest level of assurance. Let's uh, go to break now. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about uh, media and what the media's role in in this is. Also, um, Mr. Drucker uh, quotes Evelyn Fox Keller at MIT, her book, The Century of the Gene, and she sees what she calls an unprecedented bond between science and commerce, which uh, she and I think Mr. Drucker see as uh, not healthy. We'll talk about those uh, topics, and uh, we hope to hear from you if you'd like to join the conversation at 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com. Next time on Living on Earth, change is inevitable. And Lester Brown says a total transformation is coming to the way we power our civilization. The exciting thing about this is how fast it's going to happen. I think we're going to see a half century of change compressed into the next decade. The great transition to a renewable energy economy. I'm Steve Kerwood, and that's next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Wednesday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Utah Humanities. Proudly celebrating its 40th anniversary, empowering Utahns to improve their communities through active engagement in the humanities. Details at utahhumanities.org.
You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams, and we're talking about genetically engineered foods, GMOs. We're getting the case against today from public interest attorney Stephen Drucker. He is executive director of the Alliance for Biointegrity and author of the new book, Altered Genes and Twisted Truth. In 1998, he initiated a lawsuit that forced the FDA to divulge its files on genetically engineered uh, foods. You're welcome to join the program here at uh, 1-800-826-1495 or upraxcess at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter as well. Mr. Drucker, as I was uh, thinking about this program upcoming, I happened to open up uh, National Geographic, and uh, (laughs) this is a pretty stark cover. I'll just read this to you, and this references the title uh, article from uh, Joel Achenbach. Uh, so the, 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 the lead article is The War on Science, and uh, so their examples are, climate change does not exist. Evolution never happened. The moon landing was fake. Vaccinations can lead to autism. And the last one on the list on the cover here, genetically modified food is evil. I wonder what you make of that. This is they're they're lumping in your side of the argument with, you know, some some pretty bad company there. Yeah, and that's a that's a major mistake. And uh, actually, instead of what they should have had included in the war on science, is genetically engineered foods have been demonstrated safe and are the answer to world hunger. That's the war. That's part of the war on science. My book very carefully documents where the real attack on science is coming in regard to genetically engineered foods. And it demonstrates that the attack on science is coming from within. As hundreds of scientists have been subverting the standards they were trained to uphold, have been dispensing disinformation, have been uh, accepting shoddy research as long as it uh, doesn't find a problem and attacking very sound research if it does find problems with GMOs. And uh, again, the demonstration in my book has been praised by many eminent scientists who have actually read the book. Uh, one of them is a faculty member in the Department of History and Philosophy of Science at University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. He wrote a very strong endorsement for my book. And uh, one of the book, one of the chapters in my book demonstrates that the collective misrepresent the aggregate misrepresentations that have been dispensed by members of the scientific community on behalf of genetically engineered foods constitute the biggest fraud in the history of science and uh, that is what that is the case so the real attack on science is coming from within and that national geographic article is way off base Let's uh, go to a caller. Uh, this is Bettina in Springdale. Uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. I just want to say shortly that thank you. Thank you. Thank you to him. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Bettina. Appreciate well, that. Thank you. That's very gratifying. Sounds, sounds like Bettina uh, shares your, your uh, you know, skepticism and fears about GMOs. By the way, what... You you know you've you've researched this. You uh, definitely believe GMOs should be banned. What keeps you up at night? Then what what's what what are your worries? What what do you think could happen if this this continues? Actually, fortunately, I'm a very sound sleeper, and I don't <laughs> roll around. Okay. I don't spend my time worrying about GMOs. In fact, the other side always tries to uh, present that anybody with concerns has worries because it tries to make them seem that it's just nervous Nellies and that all the scientists uh, are convinced these foods are safe. 
that's poppycock. There has never been scientific consensus that these foods are safe. There has always been there have always been a substantial number of well-credentialed experts who have had concerns about genetically engineered foods. They don't sit around wringing their hands and worry, worrying. They have concerns, and they're legitimate concerns, and in fact, their concerns are backed by sound science. So, But there could be major problems happening now, and that's the problem. Genetically engineered foods could be causing major ailments that are developing over time, and uh, could be creating, we could be re, uh, seeing a lot of debilitating uh, problems uh, in human, human beings. In fact, they may be happening now. As I said, we know that there are many health problems on the increase. Some of those could be, ca- could be caused by GMOs. We just don't know right now. What I'm very concerned about is the irrational, irrationality being shown by the scientific community. And you mentioned we were going to be discussing the role of the media, how pliable the mainstream media have been to the propaganda of the biotech industry and its supporters. And even uh, even August publications like National Geographic have fallen prey to this. By the way, I think that article in National Geographic was written by one of the chief science reporters for the Washington Post. Yeah, that's right. Which has Mm -hmm. also been one of the key media outlets that's actually been an active participant in the Uh, cover-up. My book documents that a Washington Post reporter wanted to do a major expose. He wanted to... uh, to expose the FDA fraud, he he was going to use quotes from the FDA scientists' memos, quotes from scientists that had been plaintiffs in our lawsuit, and his editor shut it all down. And the article that finally was published was a whitewash, gave no indication there were any concerns among scientists about the safety of genetically engineered foods. That's from the Washington Post, which thumps its chest about how great it was in exposing the Watergate uh, situation, but it's been a coward. It's been behaving in a craven way when it comes to GMOs, as have so many other mainstream media outlets. So, again, this is very, very troubling that our democracy is actually under assault. It's not just science. The mainstream media in the United States has consistently shut down fair reporting about risks of genetically engineered foods. That's one of the main reasons that the uh, public in Europe uh, has greater concerns and has stopped these foods from permeating European markets because the European media did report the concerns of scientists uh, who were not on the bandwagon and did report research that demonstrated problems with GMOs. That has not been the case in the United States, and that's why we have such a different situation here. But, you know, this is, this is supposed to be a free country, and a free press is, is really fundamental to keeping our, our nation free and our government functioning uh, properly. And when the media self-censors itself, censorship that really would be uh, could have been expected in for to be seen at Pravda in the Soviet Union under Stalin, but this self-censorship to help uh, protect the image of GMOs in the United States—that's actually, I think, one of the most terrifying. If you want to talk about something that's terrifying, that in itself is frightening. And in fact, Jane Goodall has mentioned that 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 chapter on the. Uh, on the media and how the media has basically suppressed fair reporting. She said that's one of the most chilling chapters in the whole book. 
and it truly is. And I think every American should be very concerned about how the media has been essentially taken over by the pro-biotech forces. It's not a good situation. We have uh, two callers. Uh, we'll uh, try to fit all of this in before the end of the program, about five minutes away. Uh, first up is Carl in St. George. Carl, uh, glad you called. Go ahead with your question or comment. Good morning, uh, Tom. What I want to do is say, ooh, boy, the, the uh, boogeyman is sure running wild on your show today. First of all, when I hear someone say that democracy is on the line, red flags go up everywhere. And I, I heard you say this guy wrote a book, but what's his credentials? Did you, uh, did you relate to that? What's, what's his education, his background, his experience other than writing a book? Okay, the, thanks for that, Carl. Uh, so, Mr. Drucker, uh, your, your background uh, credentials. One other comment. Oh, okay, just quickly. Okay, the other comment is saying that media is should be self-censure, uh, should censor itself. Media self-censors itself through diversity. If you try to get all of the media together, it'd be like trying to get a bunch of cats all doing the same thing. That's the beautiful thing about democracy and a free press is the media self-censors through diversity. We're not all under one uh, uh, one dictator or one head of the the media. There's this diversity. That's all I can say. And if you know what diversity is, that's what self self uh, censors the media. But go ahead now. I'd like to hear this guy's answer. Okay. Actually, Thanks, when, Carl. what I've been saying is when it comes to the mainstream American media, there has not been diversity when it comes to GMOs. They've uniformly suppressed the evidence of that shows risks. They have failed to indicate that there are many eminent scientists who have concerns, and they have given a false impression that the only people with concerns are non-scientists. That's not fair reporting, and that's not accurate. Secondly, what are my credentials? As uh, has been mentioned, I am a public interest attorney. I know what the law is, and I know the law is being broken. I also have read through all of the FDA's uh, memo, the memos that the FDA scientists have uh, sent their superiors talking about the risks of genetically engineered foods. And you can look at them too, sir. Go to www.biointegrity.org. There are 24 key documents from the FDA's own files posted on that website. I invite you to read them all and see whether you think that uh, uh, the boogeyman is actually running loose. Uh, also, I invite you to read my book, which several in, uh, Several independent scientists have read, and they've praised highly. By the way, I have a degree in philosophy with high honors from the University of California, Berkeley. I was an honor student at UC Berkeley Law School. Uh, I worked closely with scientists in developing the book. And by the way, it's not my opinion. I'm reporting what science have said. I'm reporting scientific research. And, uh, and I worked with a team of scientific advisors. And in fact, you've heard of the Salk Institute of Biological Studies in San, Di in San Diego, one of the world's eminent biological research institutions, where one of their professors, a laboratory director, has praised my book as outstanding and said it's well-reasoned and scientifically solid. Okay. Uh, a professor of genetics at a Canadian university has stated my book is a landmark that should be required reading in every university biology course. So before you dismiss it out of hand, I think you should at least, you can download a free sample from Amazon and read, uh, you know, read the scientific endorsements, read uh, the introduction, and perhaps uh, 
you will change your mind. Okay, uh, we'll try to fit in Roger. Roger from uh, Laverkin, thanks for calling, and go ahead with your question or comment. Uh, yes, I'd like to first say uh, um, I thank Mr. Drucker for being on the call and for to get this important information out to the public so we have more of public awareness of the negative fi- side effects of GMOs. So I appreciate you being uh, on this radio show. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Hey, um, Mr. Drucker, I have heard that there is a, a pesticide gene that's uh, spliced into uh, the GMO of fruits and vegetables, and that when it hits our amino acids in our stomachs, that it actually comes out, that pesticide gene comes out, and we digest that, and we get that in small amounts. Uh, can you uh, please comment on that? And Mr. Drucker, we'll ask you to be uh, brief. We just have about a minute left. As I mentioned, there there is a class of, of GMOs that have been uh, engineered to produce a pesticidal protein. That that pesticidal protein is not supposed to be harmful to mammals, uh, but uh, there has not been extensive evidence uh, testing on humans. In fact, there hasn't been any clinical testing on, on humans, and it is known that that pesticide can be harmful to bacteria. Well, we... We human beings have uh, thousands and thousands, probably millions, of beneficial bacteria in our intestinal tract. And uh, several experts are concerned that those that pesticidal proteins could be wrecking havoc on the friendly flora on which we rely for our health. And that warrants serious uh, study. And again, that's, uh, that, uh, that's something that really had not been properly assessed earlier. They just said, well not harmful to mammals, so therefore it's not a problem. They, they didn't realize that we mammals, a very important part of our physiology consists of friendly bacteria. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, thank you to Roger. Thank you, Mr. Rucker. Thanks to Carl and Bettina as well. And uh, the book is Altered Genes, Twisted Truth. My guest has been uh, Stephen Drucker. Thank you very much. Uh, and uh, coming up uh, tomorrow on the program, we have uh, with us uh, the producer of a new uh, documentary that will be airing on Memorial Day on uh, National Geographic, and it's uh, called Drive America. Uh, car expert Matt Bennett will be with me tomorrow, looking back at how car culture has changed the way we've lived, worked, traveled, socialized, uh, and we'll uh, hear a lot of cool car facts ahead of uh, a lot of us traveling for Memorial Day weekend. Join me tomorrow for the program. Thanks for listening today. Commentator Thad Box. I once sat in folklorist Austin Fife's home laughing at photographs of pioneers stealing water. He put the pictures and stories in a book to be published after his death, but I don't think the book ever made it into print. But good, upstanding, salt-of-the-earth people stretching their moral standards to steal water happens among desert dwellers everywhere. When I first came to Utah 56 years ago, it was hard to think of Logan as a desert town. Water ran down the streets during the summer. Cold, clear water bubbled from fountains on Main Street night and day. The town was surrounded by lush fields of sugar beets and peas. Apple and cherry orchards dotted the bench above the town. Tall poplar trees stretched like strings of green yarn along flowing canals in our valley. The valley's central core was marshlands. Gradually, the human population increased. Housing developments crept up the slopes and replaced orchards. 
Houses crowded out farms, many locating along canals and roadways connecting the villages. Homes were landscaped with exotic, water-thirsty species. Large lawns replaced sagebrush and rabbit bush. Bubbling fountains along Main Street vanished. Poplar trees died. Canals were covered. House size increased. Size of families decreased. New houses were heated in winter and cooled in summer. Pea patches gave way to turf grass lawns. Roads were widened, extended, and paved. Like the happy frog in a pot placed on a hot stove, people sat silently as their beloved valley changed. Lawmakers and lawbreakers scrambled to get control of water. Stealing water has moved from nice old pioneer ladies diverting water by sitting in ditches to corporate boardrooms, lobbyists, and lawyers. But it takes water to make our desert bloom. This is Thad Box. This week on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Today we hear very much about the movement for sustainable food. But where are the human rights of the farm workers and also the small farmers? I'm Neil Harvey. Join us this week for Fair Food, Ending Slavery in the Fields on the Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Wednesday night at 8.30 on Utah Public Radio. Mirabilis multiflora, also known as the desert four o'clock. It's a spectacular plant that doesn't need additional water once established, and it blossoms continuously from early summer until fall. Learn about it on the Zesty Garden this Thursday, along with bombardier beetles and trap jaw ants with Diane Alston, and the industry of nursery-grown tomatoes in Canada on Petals and Pros. That's the Zesty Garden, heard each Thursday morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1 Richfield, KUST HD1 Moab, KCEU Price, and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. And thank you for listening to Access Utah today on Utah Public Radio. The time now is 10 o'clock.